Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, how are you doing? Doing good, man. It's getting exciting uh, in the sports world right now down here. You know, the, with the uh, Marlins at the quarter point of the season or past the quarter point now, and the Heat's in the playoffs. The Panthers about to get kicked out of the playoffs. The big question is who's starting in goal tonight for Florida, but well, that's on another show. We'll, we'll worry about Spencer Knight, right? That's his name, right? That is his name, Spencer Knight. There you go, Spencer <laughs> Knight and all that. Let's talk about the the Marlins, man. And and, and you know what? It's funny. The the Everybody talked about like one of the deepest divisions in baseball, but Marlins are right there. You know, again, we keep saying treading water, and they, they continue to. What is it, 22 and 24? You know, heading. I mean, as of Monday, I know that by the time people hear this, they'll have played the Phillies. But even even if it were twenty two and twenty five, it's still they're still hanging on pretty well right now, and and still have a chance. Or twenty three and twenty four. Come on, Dre. They took two or three against Philly just a few days ago. I I know. I'm just I'm just warning people in case it's a loss. It's still you know even even if they are three under, that's still pretty good for where where they could be right now with yeah. all these injuries. No doubt. So let's just jump right into the state of the NL East because that was going to be a talking point here regardless. Heading into Monday, only one team with a winning record, and that being the New York Mets, who the Marlins just took two of three from. And the last place team is three games under 500 heading in, as of Monday in the Washington Nationals. Everyone heading into the week is within two and a half games of first place. Yep. Nobody has really established themselves. Granted, there has been a lot that's gone on between the injury front, the slow starts to the season. I mean, the Mets, by the time they finished with the Marlins, they had 16 guys on the IL, almost every one of them a guy of merit. The Marlins have gone through their injury struggles. The Phillies have JT Real Muto on the IL. Didi Gregorius hasn't been playing. Bryce Harper's been slumping. Yeah. The Braves and have Braves. had Acuna a couple yep. times out. Yep. And they yeah. lost Huascar Yanoa after he ended up trying to slam his fist and ended up hurting himself after some route route frustration nationals lost Juan Soto for a little bit. Yep. And they just put Victor Robles on the IL yesterday. Yeah. So, so another one, but so you know mean, what? It, I mean, yeah, but Don Mattingly mentioned it was going to be a black and blue division. I don't think he meant it literally, but no. they are beating up on each other in a way that's making it hard for anyone to get some separation at this point. Right. The beating up on the scoreboard, not the physical tear that the, the physical toll that's been happening around the division. But yeah, you mentioned, the, the way that the, the the way that they're lined up right now is interesting too because when you look at those last place nationals that might be the team to keep an eye on especially coming up the next few days because they they're playing the struggling Reds who can't pitch right now suddenly I, I can't believe that with the rotation they have um, but they they've won I believe it's five out of six something like that the, the nationals they're starting to get hot right now the rotation we know the horses they have in that rotation but they're hitting well too so Washington only a half a game behind the Marlins entering Monday and only two and a half out of first could be a team that suddenly starts to sneak up in the standings. But, you know, when it comes to the local team, I just think, you know, again, it's good to see that they, that some of the, those guys that have been out seem to be, you know, on the horizon starting to get a little bit closer to a return, which is huge, especially on the pitching side, because, you know, they are, they continually just piecing it together. But, I know the, the the two guys we wanted to start off with were uh, Anderson Cooper and not the CNN guy. The combo of Brian Anderson, Garrett Cooper, both guys, especially Coop. You know, let's let's talk about him first because you know we, were, we you know he's been it wasn't a great start, but you're starting to see what he can do, what he can bring in that lineup. I mean, this 
this is what he, what he's done before. You know, he's a guy that can that can suddenly energize that team with big clutch hits. And this weekend, you know, we saw that against the Mets, and I think it was huge to see that because again, it's another piece that'll add just more length to this lineup, you know, and a little more power as well, which we know he's capable of. Yeah, Garrett Cooper. It's been really good to see him finally having success again at the plate. At one point early on the season, his batting average was around 175. I think it was 177 to be exact. And over his last eight games, he's hitting 419. He has a 1342 OPS. He had home runs in three consecutive games, including the big walk-off on Saturday, to make sure they wouldn't have to go into extras after using, what was it, 10 pitchers in that 12-inning game on Friday? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nine Chad, Chad, well, you have Chad Wallach getting ready to pitch. I mean, geez. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been interesting. I think will be just the safest way for me to describe how it would have been to see Chad Wall pitching in the 13th. But yeah. back to Cooper and the priority with him. Uh, again, we all know what he can bring with the bat. We saw it, we saw the glimpse of it in the back half of 2020 after he came back from COVID when he was just a doubles machine, basically. He's a guy who hits the ball hard. He can get it to the gaps. And he basically attributed a lot of his early struggles to just the role he was in because remember he's that guy who because of the fact they have Jesus Aguilar at first base and they have Adam Duvall as their primary right fielder he wasn't necessarily in in the starting lineup every day he was having to find ways to stay hot stay ready while basically being on the bench and not knowing exactly when his next start his next chance to get three or four at bats in the same day was going to come and now that they're sort of moving guys around a little bit they've given Cooper a couple days at first base with Aguilar kind of in a little bit of a slump. He was Aguilar was, I think, at one point one for his last 28 before his hit on Sunday. Uh, they've been giving Cooper some time in right field. Duvall's played some center with Starling Marte out. And just the fact that Cooper's getting that regular playing time, he's finally starting to come into his own, and he's taking advantage of the time that he has on the field. He's taking less time pregame with batting practice. He's doing a lot of stuff in the cages with a few of the other guys just to – try to stay rested and try not exert too much energy before the game. And also that's also a factor considering he's in right field a lot. So he's running around a lot more than he's used to when he was at first base. So he's finding ways to just conserve his energy and maximize what he has. Yeah. And that protects him too, as we know, but, um, and in the past we saw that when he did have his injuries, like that would always like disrupt, you know, kind of like the time for him to be there consistently. So yeah. I think that that helps any hitter, but especially I think in his case, I think that's something that's huge where he can finally, you know, know that he's in that lineup, you know, con- consistently every day, no matter where he's at. And and that just, you know, helps your timing, helps your rhythm at the plate, helps everything. And it looks like he's fine. He's developed that steady routine like that you were talking about both pregame and during, which has really suited him well. And, and, and again, you know, great, great for them in the situation they're in right now. And let's see, because it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how all those roles play out down the road. I mean, we talked about Lewin Diaz is knocking on the door at first base eventually. And, well, you know, I know we're going to talk about him again later on when we get to the minor league stuff. But uh, Jesus Sanchez, is, he's going to be up pretty soon, I think, because you know, the way he's playing. So, you know, that's, again, going to be interesting to see how they make the pieces fit. And also with the outfield, remember, Starling Marte is close to a return as well. So that's just right. adding another already veteran guy who was already part of that that puzzle. That you're good problems to have. Yeah. Definitely good problems to have. But uh, the second part of the Anderson-Cooper half of Brian Anderson, uh, 371 batting average, five walks, six runs scored over his last 10 games. Uh, 
we saw some scuffling from him early on and we know that he's a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. We're able to see when he knows things aren't going well. It's easy to tell when the frustration is starting to kick in. Uh, there was a game in Philly. He had a couple hits and he looks over to the dugout. He sees Jesus Aguilar just cheering his, cheering his butt off. He sees Miguel Rojas happy for him. He looks over and gives an overly exacerbated look at him and like just shows him exhaling that sigh of relief of, I'm finally back. I'm finally doing this again. And he seems to have just simplified his game. And it's gotten to the point where he knows that he doesn't have to do too much. He has between Cooper doing what he's doing now behind him in the lineup. And with Miguel Rojas being the steady guy up in, up in the top two spots in the lineup and other guys piecing things together. He knows he doesn't have to do too much. And he just basically just needs to find a way to get on base. And he's going to find, he's potentially got a chance to score. Yeah. We look we look at the last two games with the Mets, all three innings where the Marlins scored runs, Brian Anderson was the first guy to get on base. Seventh yeah. inning on Saturday, he gets on with a single with one out, moves over the third on a Garrett Cooper double and scores on the Dickerson sack fly, and then he gets on base for Cooper's walk-off. Sunday, he's the first he gets the leadoff single that starts that five-run inning against old friend Jordan Yamamoto. And it just he seems to be he seems to be becoming that spark plug again that the Marlins have wanted him to be for a while, but of course they're just, he's steadily becoming that big production guy out of the five hole in the lineup. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and you, the last two words where I was, where I was going with, you know, in, the, in that spot in the lineup specifically where you want a guy to be a good run producer, like he's been, look, Brian, we've been seeing it since 2018. I mean, Brian, Brian is, I think that that's the player he is. He's always going to be that highly emotional you know, he takes things very seriously. We know that. That's the player he is. But is he little by little learning on how to not let that get out of hand, how to not let that affect his performance? Yeah, I think that's a, that's the process that he's learned a little by little. And, and it's good to see that, you know, it's starting to, to – he's starting to get better at it is what, is what I mean. And, and at the plate, if he could be that run producer, that just complements the whole package. I mean, this is – one of the best defensive third basemen out there in the entire national league. I mean, after Arenado, you know, I, I'd put him up there, you know, against most everyone else, I would say in terms of defensive skill. And you know, the cannon he's got when he used to play and write more often, but, but you know, you're, you're seeing that part of it too. Cause I know we talked about him at the plate, but he's made some pretty good defensive gems so far this season as well, especially lately. So again, it's just a steady guy that you can keep there as a major piece going forward. And, and it's good to finally see his back come around. And, and again, it just ties into what we talked about with Cooper, it just adds so much depth and so much, it stretches out the line of so much better when these guys are hitting like that and picking each other up. Definitely. Uh, I mean, with Anderson defense, he's seventh among third basemen in defensive run saved. He's been up there. He's made a lot of those web gems. Uh, I'm looking up the specific fan graph numbers right now. He's third overall in defensive rating among third basemen behind Yoan Moncada with the White Sox and Arenado with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. So, again, as one of our former colleagues, Joe Forsaro, used to say, top five NL third basemen. Yeah, well, in some of those categories, top three. Top three in a lot of those categories that you're just threw out there from fan graphs. The interesting interesting guy who's in fifth place per fan graphs, former Marlon Starlin Castro. There you go. Good old Starlin the Marlin since he's moved over there. Well, you know, hopefully he's wearing a cup and protecting himself these days, but yeah. 
I had to. Come on. You had to. That, that was one of the, be- that was one of the best things he uh, ever said. To okay, me back, Andre, back you brought it here. up. You have to rehash that conversation now just because you brought that up. Yeah, when he told, when he revealed to the world, well, me first and then the world, uh, that he didn't wear one ever. And it's like, well, okay, well, now you know why. He's got to, you know, things happen the way they happen. So hopefully he's protecting his uh, vital areas, you know, these days uh, in baseball, like like the majority of players do. But but no, good to see Starlin. You know, we know we know what kind of a player he is, and I'm glad to see at third base things are working out well for him, and especially on the defensive side. That's impressive because at this point in his career, that's that's good to see. Yeah, and now we touched on a few things. Let's just really quickly rehash the injury updates uh, since we talked about injuries at the top of the episode. Eliezer Hernandez threw his second rehab assignment on Sunday, four and two-thirds scoreless, gave up two hits, struck out eight, didn't walk anyone. The thing to note with Eliezer – because of the Marlins having to make a, be creative with their 40-man roster and just the way they handled a few roster moves, they moved Eliezer to the 60-day IL on Saturday, mm-hmm. which because he was put on the IL April 4th, he's now he's – It's now, retroactive, he's, right? It's retroactive to that, but he's now not able to come off until June 3rd. Yeah, that was one of those where you see the alert and you're like, <gasps> and then, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, good. No, because yeah. honestly, when Kim Ang, when she talked with a handful of us and told us the news before – came out in the on the transaction logs my first questioner was he looked really good in the rehab assignment was there a setback between she goes right. no just just remember the, the retro day i went right procedural thing to put them yeah. in and yeah yeah, yeah. moving to 60 day it freed up a spot on the 40-man roster which allowed them to bring sean moramondo to the active roster and they had to move jordan holloway to the 10-day il with the groin issue which that really was what made that was that big domino effect in that friday game bullpen day Holloway was supposed to go three to four. He only goes one, which forces Don Madeline to use every single guy he had available. And of course, the game going to extras didn't help either. So they added more Armando for length in the bullpen in case they needed it. But of course, Pablo Lopez and Cody Poteet each went seven innings, which helped out. But back to Eliezer, he'll have to make he'll make at least one more rehab start. Lining up based off the days of rest would be it will point to Friday. If he makes a second rehab start after that, or I guess it would be a fourth rehab start overall, it would line up with June 2nd, the last day he's on the 60-day IL before he can be activated. So if they feel like he's ready after Friday, they could just wait, activate him June 3rd, and start him, and have him start with the big league club. If they feel like he needs one more, have him start that June 2nd day, and then the next turn in the rotation. So June 7th, I guess, would be the day, depending on how off days impact the rotation would be probably the latest that he would be back. If I'm them, I'm hoping for option A and, and getting him in as, as soon as humanly possible, as soon as it's safe for him to really go in there because, yeah, that, that rotation needs it right now, you know, the way that they're patching things together. And I think Eliezer is the one guy after we both – we saw him up close, I remember, in that that scrimmage toward the end of spring. He looked amazing and, and probably the best he's looked in his whole career. So if he's that kind of strike thrower with that kind of potential, again, coming off the I.L., like maybe – it's hard to say when guys guys are going to need a little time to really get into their rhythm and their groove. You never know, but it's going to help tremendously. So the sooner he can get in there, the better and kind of stabilize that rotation. I think that's what they would be hoping for. Definitely. And again, he's as of right now, the Marlins they had their three horses in Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers. Cody Poteet has looked like a viable number four for the short term, but right. they're still patching through that fifth spot. But for Cody Poteet for a second, Seven shutout innings on Sunday. Granted, again, we can talk about how the Mets roster is constructed. It was basically 
Jonathan Villar leadoff, Francisco Lindor second, and then essentially a triple-A roster three through nine. But for a guy making his third MLB start to go seven shutout innings, he's at a 1.06 ERA over 17 innings through three starts. Hasn't walked a guy in the last two outings. He's looked the part. Granted, of course, it's how, how is that going to replicate? Is he going to be able to replicate that or at least hold pace as he goes farther, as more teams get film on him? But it's been a pretty good debut for Cody Poteet, to say the least. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, this is a guy that, honestly, like, I saw him in double-A when, when when the shrimp were double-A. You didn't know if he would ever even pitch in the majors, really. He's not considered – wasn't considered by anybody, like, a top 30 prospect, big deal type. Great for him. I mean, what – I mean, and, and, and let's remember, yes, is it a shambles Mets lineup? Yeah, but – that doesn't mess. I've seen t- plenty of times where pitchers come up, pitchers like him. You still have to come on and perform, and he has, and he's done pretty impressive for what he's been able to do coming up and pitching at the major league level. Which there's always pressure with that, no matter who you're facing. So let's go. You know, tons of credit for doing that, for coming up, for having his debut. Now it's going to be interesting to see as he continues to get chances once he faces tougher lineups, how he adjusts, how he continues to develop and that sort of thing. And let's see where it takes him. I mean, it's house money with the Marlins because this is not one of the guys that you really, really expected to be a part of it. So if he turns out to be a, you know, a diamond in the rough type for them, even better. And it was important for them to get that considering Dan Castano, they tried him out for a few starts. It didn't really work out. Right. Nick Neider, they tried out for a few starts. Didn't really work out. Yeah. Jordan Holloway, it started to look like it was working out and then he gets hurt. So the fact that they were able to get the guy to at least provide that stability to give them to make sure that they only have to do one true bullpen day every five games instead of two just makes it that much better, especially with the overtaxing of the bullpen, which we've talked about. I think it's the third week now that we're discussing it. Well, I mean, it's the ongoing topic for sure. But but yeah, he reminds me of what Castano was able to do last year when he was kind of a guy, you know, under the radar, you know, that. People thought, you know, we talked about it, that he was like a throwaway in that trade. We didn't, and all of a sudden he comes up, and not only comes up, but pitching effectively. This year, Cody Poteet, kind of that same, you know, guy that, again, kind of under the radar, but you know who he is because you've seen him in the system for a few years now and happy to see that he's putting up results uh, as he comes in. So it's been, you know, again, an- another guy that's been vital for them to continue to stay in the mix despite all these setbacks. And then on the other starting pitchers who are injured, Sixto Sanchez is still only on flat ground, throwing at 120 feet. Uh, we we're, When we talked with general manager Kim Ang on Saturday, she basically said, yeah, we're taking it slow with him. We're in this for the long haul. We don't want to rush anything and then ultimately have to deal with another setback. And then the point that she brought up is we would rather take it slow and have him come back in – july or august and have him then potentially have him come back in at some point in june and then he has another injury with the arm and also the point to bring up is uh when they bring him back it's basically gonna be like they're just acquiring a brand new guy in the middle of the season for nothing compared to other teams that are going to be going to the trade deadline and having to trade away three four five guys to get a guy of his caliber I always, I always love the old trade deadline cliche. Like, yeah, yeah it's like we picked up a guy. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. It, and yeah. And that's the smart approach because you don't want to mess with such a special talent like Sixto is and how, how much potential he can have for you. 
just in the long run for this franchise. So any asset like him, you know, Edward Cabrera, even, you know, guys like that, they need to, you know, that's exactly the smart approach. Take your time with them. And, you know, you're thinking big picture here. This is still a lot, you know, a plan that is gradually getting to where they want to be as a franchise, not just for one season, but for many. So those guys are going to be a part of that. So definitely the right approach. Yeah, and quickly, Edward Cabrera has been on the mound. He's done a couple bullpen sessions. I believe he was supposed to do a live batting practice this weekend. So he is progressing as well. Obviously, I would anticipate him once he's healthy and cleared to start in AAA, get a few actual games under his belt there before jumping right into the big league just because, again, he didn't get to pitch at all last year because of the minor league season and the shoulder injury he was dealing with. And I just don't anticipate them jumping him straight up to the big leagues, even though – they really could use that fifth arm in the rotation. The day Edward Cabrera finally makes it to the majors, I, you know what? I don't care if you're covering. I think I'm just going to show up anyway because it's been so like highly long anticipated that to finally see him in the majors, I think I'm just going to run over there. Hopefully, it's a home game. There you go, see him. Yep. I mean, if it's not, I mean, you can always. We should hopefully know the night before. You can always try to book a flight to wherever we're at. <laughs> yeah. Well, with my luck, it'll be on the West Coast somewhere, and I'm not flying five hours for that. Yeah, and then the last two injury updates to talk about. Uh, Starling Marte took batting practice each of the last three days. He looked fine. He feels fine. He told uh, he told us that his plan is that he wants to do a couple rehab assignments just so that he can see velocity in a live setting before mm-hmm. he comes back into a big game. But if the Marlins asked him to come in, come back into the lineup right away, he feels 100% comfortable with it. Jorge Alfaro has played the last, I believe it's four games. I have the numbers right here. He has played in the last four games for AAA Jacksonville on the rehab assignment, first with the hamstring injury. Then he suffered a setback on his side. But he started. he's played the last four games, at least two of them at catcher. My anticipation would be that he, if he's not back at some point during the Philly series, he will be back for this next three-city road trip that starts in Boston, which to get two more pieces back, considering they already got Jazz back, they got Anderson back. Once they get Alfaro and Marte back, they're basically back to full strength on, on the offensive side. Yeah, and then that's when things would get interesting because that's when that's when the, staying, the treading water part might end, and then, then they can make a push potentially if those guys come back. And, and, and look, and it's maybe not the exact day that they're all back. They're obviously, some guys may need some time to get in the rhythm again, but you're looking at maybe late June-ish where this team will probably – you know, knock on wood, unless setbacks happen again, have a lot of guys in place. And then we're really going to find out if this team can do something this season. So that's going to be interesting, especially if they can get, you know, once they get the arms back, once they get those guys back in the outfield. And now the main, the interesting part that'll happen is how they, is the roster moves they make in order to add both of those guys back. Yeah. And that's going to depend on where they're at a month from now in the standings too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like with Alfaro and Marte specifically, if they come back within the next week, Obviously, your catcher spot, it's either you're going to have more than likely drop one of Sandy Leon or Chad Wallach, and the logical move is Wallach has options, minor league options, Sandy Leon doesn't. Right. So that sort of makes that one easy. Yeah. When you bring Marte back, Brinson's on the IL right now. Uh, who are you dropping at this point? Are you going to just drop – I mean, I would assume Brinson would probably have to be the guy be – the, be the loose end there to go to the minors since Sierra doesn't have options. Right. Well, and then, and then, you know, people don't want to hear this now because they want to be optimistic that they're still in it a month from now. But 
you do have guys on short-term deals that could be yeah. trade bait as well, especially in that outfield. So there's that possibility as well. that could create some potential openings and roster moves. And then that frees up spots. Let's say if they're not in it for some of these guys, like, you know, a guy whose initials are JS that is tearing it up right now in, in the minors to come up and make their, make their debuts. Definitely. And since you brought him up, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will, we'll talk about the minor league updates through week three. And this guy, this random guy with initials JS will once again be a heavy focal point of that conversation. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back. And as we've done each of the last two weeks, we're going to start the second half of the show, breaking down what's going on in the farm. And Andre, you brought up this mysterious guy with the initials JS. So you want to give us the latest update on him? The mysterious guy, the man of mystery. He's not that mysterious. I mean, he can't he can't stay under the radar with with everything he's doing. I mean, I mean, he did have a down week this week. He only hit four seventeen this week. I mean, he only went ten for twenty four. Two more doubles, two more home runs, four more runs, three RBI. I mean, you know, you know that, that shame on him. I mean, geez. I mean, it's not like it's not, I mean, come on. No, in all seriousness, I think Jesus San- Sanchez, if there's one guy you're going to see up, you know, fairly soon. Again, we're not saying Justin may necessarily rush him, but he's he's earning at least the opportunity to get back up and 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 kind of, you know, hopefully put on a little better performance than he did last season when uh, when he went one for 25. And I think the moment got to him a little too much. And, you know, so it's good to see one of the one of the key trade pieces that they had from from those moves they made you know, him get, getting him in, you know, in the deal from the Rays, you know, really put up and really look like one of their best prospects in the system. But I thought it was interesting staying in the outfield, the guy whose initials are PB, uh, you know, I'll let you guys figure it out, who was hitting 077 two weeks into the season, all of a sudden starting to look like that breakout guy that everybody expects him to, as expected him to be. It was an eight for 25, three doubles, a triple, two homers, five RBI place for the blue wahoos and by the way we're able to play against the rocket city trash pandas which is one of the best mascots in all of baseball and there are a lot of great there are a lot of great minor league baseball mascots but the trash pandas which are basically they're raccoons raccoons they're raccoons but i love the logo like with the can the lid the raccoon it's amazing so, but yeah. yeah, Peyton Burdick, if you haven't figured it out by now, you're not really following the Marlins, but okay, that's the guy we're talking about. You know, you look on the surface at the average and it still doesn't look very good, but consider it improved by 95 points after last week. But the important thing is that Peyton Burdick, again, looking like, you know, he's, he's recovered some of the things he wanted to do at the plate. You know, he talked about it a little bit. He was telling you, uh, it was telling MILB.com, excuse me, that, you know, he's seen the ball better reacting to it better, you know, you start to feel good that he is starting to be himself again. And I think when you jump him the way they did, he skipped a level altogether. That that's pretty hard. It's, it takes a minute to kind of, you know, adjust there. And some guys don't, some guys, it, 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 it swallows them up and like ruins our season. So it's good to see that if this was, if he can, it, it was a week, but if he can carry this over, that's a good sign that it didn't take him extremely long to kind of adjust to that double a level of pitching. That's definitely a good thing for him. Yeah, and as a reminder, Peyton Burdick, when he he was drafted as a senior out of college, right, and then went and then he played his first year of pro ball in Low A, where he's basically facing teenagers for the most part. Yeah, so this is the first time where he's really facing competition where 
that is expected to be at his level. At his age so, level, too. Right? At his age level, closer, exactly. Yeah. So the fact that he did have that that struggle to start the year at the plate, that's anticipated. But Especially, even then, right, yeah. and now coming off last year, you yeah, lost the exactly. whole season, everything. Right? Yeah, he lost last season. He wasn't part of the alternate site. He only was there for a month of instructs. Right, so he even did, more. Yeah, he did look decent at times during spring training. He had a couple home runs toward the end. He showed some power with that, even though the results didn't necessarily fall his way. But the Marlins have been extremely optimistic about him. He's one of the guys who has been involved in a lot of the trade talks from other teams wanting to ask about his availability when the Marlins were trying to see if they could swing a couple moves during the offseason. But the Marlins held off because they see a lot of potential in this guy. And, I mean, his bat alone gives you enough optimism that he can he can hit for average and he has some power in there. He has the ability to play either of the corners and has played some center field with double A, which I don't see him playing center field long-term in the big leagues, but he has played and has held his own so far with the blue Hahu so far. Yeah. And, and, I, and the interest from other teams is a sign too. When, when, when you see that, because that shows you that something's there, you know what I mean? And, and I think that he's finally, I, him finally backing that up now. And again, I, I, I think, just that quick adjustment too in two weeks, you know, especially considering all the factors of lost time and everything that we talked about. Again, that that's impressive to me if he can continue to do it, if it's not just a blip this week and then, but if it's a steady progression, he continues to develop the way he is. It's great. And then down the road, again, it becomes, he's either another potential long-term piece in the outfield or because teams have been interested. And if he produces, gives you that kind of a trade piece potential down the road too. Yeah. And now that we've talked the obligatory Jesus Sanchez and the primary part this week of Peyton Burdick, time to run through the quick obligatory update on the pitchers from the 2020 draft that we talk about basically every week. Yep. Uh, Max Meyer went a career long five and two thirds innings. Didn't give up, a, didn't give up a run, struck out nine batters and scattered five hits. He only allowed two guys again to run to get, he only allowed two runners to get in the scoring position. Uh, Jake Eater also in double A like Max Meyer went five innings, held the trash pandas to two runs, one earned on three hits and four walks while striking out another seven batters. The raccoons are hitting off of Jake Eater. <laughs> uh, Zach McCambly in class A advanced Beloit. Uh, his first rough start of the year. He gave up four earned runs. All four were on solo home runs, but struck out six over six innings. Uh, through three starts, he has 21 strikeouts against just 12 hits and two walks. Also in Beloit, Kyle Nicholas. He only went four and two thirds this week, but he held the Cedar Rapid Colonels. Not as great as the name of the Trash Pandas, but, but those are the ones that have those are the ones that's like a corn on the cob logo, right? Exactly. Yes, it yeah, is. Another good one. So he held Cedar Rapids to just two earned runs on seven hits while striking out five. Dax Fulton went four and two thirds, the longest he's gone through his three starts that's down in Jupiter. That's probably that's the high that's the high note considering he only went I think it was four and a third total through his first yeah. two. No, so, and, and and again, any you know, with him it's pitch, you yes. know, as much as you can, and gradually bringing him along is the goal right there. So that's a good sign yeah, no, for sure. That, and remember, Dax Fulton's the only one one of these four, of these five who was high a high school guy that yeah. they took from the draft, and he was coming off Tommy John surgery. So the fact that they're able to get him to this point where he's already basically close to throwing five innings, which you're going to want from your starters regardless. That's yep. a good sign. It's after that, after getting the length out there, it's a matter of honing in his command and taking those next steps. And 
He'll have a lot of time to do that down in Jupiter. Uh, A couple other guys to note. Victor Mesa Jr. had two home runs this week, including an inside. I mean, one was an inside the park home run, which showed off the speed that he has. But for him to get one out of the yard, good for VMJ. Yeah, good for VMJ. The guy, the guy, I mean, the guy who jumped like half the spots in the top 30 of of this offseason. I mean, I'm glad he's backing it up. But yeah, power is not the tool that you talk about the most with him, but that's something that he has some potential for. So it's good to see him gradually start to do that. But he showed you one of them with the speed, obviously, you know, that that with the inside the Parker too. So again, it's that combo of potential that you have with him. I mean, I, I like it a lot, you know, lefty bat as well. You know, I said from the beginning when they signed him, I'm like, Junior is going to be interesting because he's going to, in baseball terms, he's going to grow up here and he's going to face that competition through those very important developmental years that his brother didn't get a chance to. So I think that part of it is the intriguing part to watch him slowly get better and develop too. Yeah. And to wrap up the minor league portion, just want to give a shout out to some guys who aren't top 30 prospects, but are still showing some, who showed some impression, who made a pretty good impression last week. Uh, in AAA, Luis Marte, infielder, he hit 316, going six for 19 with a double, a home run, and four ribbies. Uh, in Class A, Beloit, outfielder Thomas Jones, who was filling in because Connor Scott hasn't played much last week. Cam Meisner didn't play much last week. Thomas Jones hit 389, seven for 18. He had two doubles. He stole four bases. He scored four runs. And then also down in Jupiter, MD Johnson, one of the pitchers they got on day three in the 2019 draft. Mm-hmm. Six shutout innings with 10 strikeouts. So to see some some improvements, see some highlights from some of these guys who we're not going to talk about every week, it's yeah. good to give them a little bit of recognition as well. Yeah, MD, an early day three guy, you know, still a pretty high round pick that they had that year. Um, Thomas Jones, too. I mean, that, that uh, let's talk about him a second. I mean, he he was a top 30 guy until this influx of talent came in. So this is a guy who is still trying to, you know, break through and get his opportunity. So good to see when you see him put that kind of a production, maybe it'll, you know, hopefully, hopefully not just the numbers, but how he got to that 389 was something that, you know, clicked and something that helps in his development as well. Yeah, no doubt. And to wrap up the show, got to give a shout out to Eddie Alvarez. Marlon. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he is (laughs) one of the 28 on the team USA training camp roster for the Olympic qualifiers that start next week. And just to think about what Eddie has done in his career, he won a silver medal at the Winter Olympics as a speed skater. He made his MLB debut last year. Now he has a chance to make the Summer Olympics in baseball. Just, that's amazing. Yeah. That's just absolutely <laughs> outstanding to see a guy who's going to be, has a chance to complete that trifecta. And Dre, I know you did that big profile on him back in 2019. So, yeah. Just go ahead. No, I, I mean, Eddie's, Eddie's career is amazing. I mean, considering. And you, you think about his backstory too, the way he had to go from adjusting himself from being a speed skater to being a baseball player to back and the back again, you know, he had surgery on his knees that were all shot up from the speed skating days, basically had to rebuild his body, which if you think about it, like your lower body has to be super strong when it comes to speed skating, his upper body kind of, I mean, not atrophied, but kind of, you know, wasn't in baseball, any sort of baseball shape. He had to go to a trainer to get, you know, for months and months of work to build up his strength, upper body strength to be able to hit again, not to mention just also the hand, eye, everything that goes into hitting and to pull off both of them. I mean, 
let's just say that the U.S. does something big this summer and 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 wins something. How amazing would that moment be if Eddie can get on a medal stand again for baseball after he had that? You know, obviously for the speed skating part. I mean, it's tremendous. You don't you don't in our lifetimes we won't see stories like that. You know, maybe not again. Yeah, and but before they can get to that they have to qualify for the olympics and that starts next week right uh yeah they're in the it's an eight what's going on next week it's an 18 eight team qualifier tournament Mm -hmm. with basically teams from north america and south america that's the top team from this group of eight automatically qualifies to the olympic games the teams that finish second and third qualify for the final qualifying tournament which will take place in taiwan uh, yeah. The USA is one of the eight teams. It's the USA, Canada, Colombia, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah it's eight teams. They're going to be in two fourteen pools to start off. Each team will play the other three teams in their pool. The top two from each pool advance to the final round, where they'll face the two teams from the other pool. Whoever has the best record at the end of that entire tournament of those four gets the automatic yeah. bid and and i'm assuming like eddie's on this roster now but he has to perform and continue to convince them so they can keep him on the roster going forward in subsequent rounds right correct the way it's working there they have 28 guys right now for the training camp roster it's 26 make the actual roster so right. he just has to there's only gonna be two cuts between now yeah. and the qualifying tournament yeah it reminds it reminds me of like the same process like in soccer with the usa as you whittle down and try to get the best possible talent but I wouldn't put it past Eddie because, you know, he's impressed and you look at what he's been able to do. He, he is a guy who continuously defies the odds to continue to, to, to perform, especially at this age, uh, at this point in his career. Again, I, I, you know, he's not a guy that I would doubt. Are the odds maybe a little tough? Of course, but I wouldn't put it past them to, yeah. to, to make it. Yep. And there are also two other South Florida natives who are part of Team USA, uh, Good old John Jay and yeah. and Boston Red Sox prospect and former Plantation American Heritage standout Tristan uh, Casas. I hope Tristan I pronounced Casas. that correctly. Casas. Casas, yeah. So I apologize if this is the make Andre feel old segment right at the end of the show, but <laughs> no, not 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 that old because Tristan. I actually didn't cover John Jay. That goes back to uh, Manny Manny Navarro back in the day. Covered him when he was with the Herald, but uh, but uh, but going to Casas, I remember. I sat down with him and I talked with him on the phone for over half an hour when he was getting ready to be drafted. I remember I was at state baseball at that time and you knew this kid was going to be something special with the way, he, the, the way he hits the power playing first base. I mean, wish the Marlins would have drafted him, but Hey, stuff happens and you know, guys go in different directions, but I'm glad for him. I'm glad, you know, especially with the Red Sox, he seems to be developing pretty well with them and and it'd be nice to see if he could do something at that level i mean on the world stage like that would be great yeah and one final note on team usa players on the team are the only players allowed on the team are people who aren't on 40-man rosters with major league baseball right makes now, sense right which is why you're not seeing a lot of the traditional big names so to speak but there are actually there are a few big names that are free agents right now who aren't with teams right now. Obviously, John Jay is one of the main guys. Let me quickly pull up their roster. Yeah, that, that's why you see a mix of like a yeah. prospect like Tristan, but also, you know, guys that like are, my, you know, either minors or on the cusp guys that are in like their 30s, like a Jay, like like Eddie. Yeah, yeah you've got John Jay. Uh, Matt Kemp made Matt Kemp is part of the 28. 
There you go. There's another modern yeah. connection. Uh, yeah. Todd in, Todd Frazier is part of the group. That's Todd uh, Father. Yep. Uh, Logan Forsyth, who was a Marlin for about 45 seconds last year after the COVID outbreak. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a few top prospects. Uh, Matthew Liberatore, the Cardinals pitcher, is on is yeah. on there. So you have you uh, have major league experience, both you know yeah. pitching wise and hitting wise, in there to you know to help the team and to give them some depth there. Yep. Yeah. And the base, the America's qualifier L starts on next Monday, May 31st. All of the games are either taking place at West Palm beaches ballpark in the Palm beaches Mm. or Port St. Lucie's Clover park. So everything's going to be in South Florida and it's going to be televised on ESPN plus. So everything is accessible for everyone who isn't able to make it in person. And on that note, I think that wraps us up for this week, Dre. Yeah, go Eddie, go Tristan, and go USA. Let's see, yeah. let's see if they can they can make the push to Tokyo. Yep. And on that note, that'll conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Thanks so much, everyone.